Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the Cloudcast, coming to you live from our studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you know, we've had a lot of discussions in the past about you know what's going on in the container world, what's going on in the DevOps world, and you know, a lot of times some of it, you know, becomes theoretical. It's, you know, it's what you hear at a meetup. Um, today, though, we're, we're very, very lucky. Uh, we're going to talk to some folks who not only have been uh, tracking this, um, you know, with live customers, with uh, live usages, but are also sort of living this. So very excited today to have both Kim Wines, uh, Vice President of Marketing, and Tim Miller, Vice President of Engineering from RightScale. So Tim and, uh, and Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having Brian. us. Um, so, you know, before we get started, why don't you guys, you know, we, we've had RightScale on before. I think our audience uh, is very familiar with what RightScale does, but why don't you give me an introduction to to yourselves and the types of things you're working on these days? Great. So I'll kick it off and then hand it over to Tim. So at RightScale, we're really in the multi-cloud management space. So we have a SaaS platform that enables enterprises to manage one or more cloud providers, typically multiple um, each year we do several surveys and one of those is our state of the cloud survey that we've been doing for about four years now. And what we're really finding is that enterprises are embracing hybrid cloud and generally they're already using three different clouds today, a combination of public and private and experimenting with three more. So really our universal cloud management platform is designed to help them you know, provision, deploy, manage, track, and optimize across any cloud, any server, any cloud service. Yeah. yeah so, I, think, I think people have always looked at, at RightScale not only as, as great at, at being able to do that. You, know, you, you guys were really one of the, the early, early pioneers at helping people do that, but, but also you, you give a lot of really good insight back to the community about what's happening because, you know, sometimes those clouds, the, the, the clouds themselves don't give out a lot of data, but you guys have always been really um, open about sharing what's going on in the community. So we, we really always appreciate that. So that's really been our role because we are, you know, Switzerland, so to speak, when it comes to clouds, that we don't really have a particular horse to ride in the game. And so we've been trying to share that data. But this year, just uh, this a couple weeks ago here, we released a new report on DevOps trends, which was super interesting and really validated some things that I think many of us in the industry probably already realized intuitively, which is that Docker use is exploding. And it's not just experimentation and it's not just development, but it's also being used in production by many companies today. And I think that, that'll be an interesting segue as I turn it over to Tim. But let me get you a couple of stats on that. So really what we've seen is that the Docker use has doubled from last year to this year on a year-over-year basis. So it went from uh, last year 13% of respondents saying they were using Docker to this year, 27% saying that they're using Docker. And when we looked at that, 26% of companies said that they're using it already in development or in production. So that's not experimentation or learning. That's actually real workloads deployed. So we're seeing some of the same value in right scale. And I'll let Tim tell you a little bit about our journey there. But 
as such, we recently completed a project that we called Project Sherpa to move virtually all of our services that support our own RightScale platform to Docker. And uh, Tim can tell you the whole story and the motivation behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tim, uh, fill in the fill in the blanks for us, but also <laughs> fill in you know fill in the scope of of what uh, what you're you're pulling together from the engineering team's perspective. So, yeah, we. Um Thanks, Kim and Brian. Um, we started really in the container world about two years ago. Um, probably the way everybody else gets into it, you, you get a few people that are excited about the new technology. They start playing around. Um, first, it's on their own time, and then um, next, we start saying, "Hey, we might we might want to develop, you know, put some real um, development behind this." So we basically had an architect, an ops person, and a developer start um, start from the ground floor here at RightScale. Um, putting, putting, playing with containers, seeing if it really sort of met the hype that it, that it was getting. And, um, and then really took that, um, over that first maybe year and a half to us, um, building our first apps, but Greenfield. So, um, you know, we have, we're, you know, six, six year old company, six, seven year old company. We have legacy software, uh, but we certainly didn't start there. We started with Greenfield apps. Um, we built about seven of them, put them into one team and had them really prove out. And that's where we kind of then got to this point where we're going, Hey, we're seeing the benefits we're seeing where we, you know, in the operation side where we can take these apps and we can compact them on the VMs, um, and, and get a savings there. We can see the, um, you know, the pro productivity, if we, if we had more containers, um, in the whole development life cycle, um, in that, um, we would see some more productivity. And then we felt, you know, too, that, our own, you know, our, our customers as well as ourselves need a, a way to manage that, um, and so it really helps us define our product strategy. Interesting. Um, Excellent. Yeah. No. So, you know, I think what what's always interesting is, um, and and you can fill me in on this. You know, you guys cover a lot of different types of industries, a lot of different companies. And, and one of the things that's always kind of critical is, you know, do you do you sort of eat your own dog food? Are you you're offering a service? You're trying to help people do that, but and, and to a certain extent, I have to imagine your customers look to you to say, look, you're, you're kind of out in front of us on some of this stuff. We're going to want to lean on your expertise and, and um, you know, kind of see what, what you're learning from, uh, you know, deploying DevOps, deploying containers, you know, changing your culture and so forth. So I, I have to imagine, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, like you said, saving money, but a certain extent of, of trying to make, you know, a better experience for your, for your end users as well. Right. You hit the nail on the head there. You know, we use RightScale to manage RightScale. So we have our own version of RightScale that runs RightScale. Uh, you sort of have to get your head around that. But yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, as our ops people are saying, hey, we love this container stuff. It looks like it's great, um, but I can't see anything. I, I mean, where's the tools? How do we build that in? How do I, and in our case, we manage, you know, it's a hybrid environment, right? Not everything is in containers. Some things are not still. I still need to be to see all that. I still need to manage it, and it's it's more the real world um, situation that uh, is it's messy, right? The yeah. real world's messy, <laughs> unfortunately, in IT and ops and things like that. So um, we kind of bring you know that clarity or help bring that clarity. Um, yeah. Very cool. So I, we're gonna we're gonna dig back into that, Kim. I, I want to come back to you. So. You know, as I was reading through the report, and we've got links to it in our show notes for anybody who, who's listening. You know, one of the things that that jumped out at me was, was really two things that jumped out at me. One um, was kind of the the breadth of the types of companies that you dealt with. I think 
you know, sometimes people get a sense that, um, you know, maybe this is just for technology companies. It's just for the Valley, you know, that tends to be the DevOps container thing. But the other thing was it, the numbers felt a little more pragmatic. Um, you know, I, I've seen a number of, of container surveys lately that, you know, 85% of, of uh, you know, customers are using it in production and, you know, 95% are going to, you know, you sort of go, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that outside of, outside of the Valley. G- give us a sense of the scope of the survey, the types of users that you were, you know, you're getting feedback from and just so people have an understanding of what these numbers really mean when you talk about Docker doubling and, and 20, 25% using DevOps and using containers for, for production. Yeah, so the survey in this year, we had 1,060 respondents, so a pretty healthy number. And we mail off of the full right scale database. So these are people that over the past, you know, eight years or so that we've been in business have at some point interacted with us. And it really spans a wide range of company sizes. Um, So if we look at the breakdown there, we've got about 42% of those are larger than 1,000 employees, so Mm. kind of on the enterprise side of things. About a third are under 100, so more the smaller startups, and then about a quarter are in the mid-range between 100 and 1,000. So kind of a good mix across all of those groups. And from an industry perspective, while software is the number one in terms of respondents with a 25%, we do see that being really diverse. It's not just kind of the the startups that you constantly hear about in Silicon Valley, but also kind of software companies that have been around forever doing all sorts of traditional and industry-specific software that you may not even know about. So really kind of a good mix of that. And then we do see across a whole slew of industries, you know, your more traditional industries, financial services or insurance or media and publishing or um, education, um, just really a whole set of different industries. So it really gives us kind of a nice view um, across all types of companies, not just um, the leading edge companies. Now, the one thing that was interesting in the survey this year is that we saw with Docker that enterprises are actually slightly ahead in their Docker adoption versus SMBs. So essentially those 1,000 plus companies are doing actually a little bit more with Docker um, than are the smaller companies. So that's interesting as well. And then we looked at it by different sort of cuts to say, okay, what what sort of subgroups are really diving into Docker and are doing kind of more than average Uh, So certainly enterprises we saw, certainly tech companies we saw, uh, developers versus IT respondents were slightly ahead. So they're leading the charge a little bit there. And then we also saw Europe actually coming in with slighter, uh, slightly higher Docker adoption. You know, nothing off the charts for any of these, but, you know, instead of running at 27% or so on average, we saw Europe go as high as 34% or companies, tech companies go as high as 32%. Um, so adoption is happening across the board with some, you know, leading the way slightly ahead of others. Yeah, interesting. I, 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 wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have projected Europe. Europe tends to usually lag either... Um, you know, Asia, especially like uh, Australia and some of the, 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 the APAC countries and then obviously the United States. So that's that's an interesting trend to watch. Um, you know, the other piece, I think, you, you know, tying together the, the two things that you're both working on, you know, you talk about 
larger companies or enterprise companies, but but more so, um, you know, kind of the engineering side of those companies as opposed to IT, which I think aligns very well to, to what Tim was saying, which is, you know, we had some early adopters within our group who had a specific type of problem they were trying to solve. And, you know, they, they sort of took out their curiosity on, on trying to figure out how this technology works. Does it solve a problem? Is it interesting? And then you sort of start bringing it back into to what you have to do to, to solve whatever problem that might be. Um, so, so Tim, let's come back to, to sort of the, the, the why question. You know, why, why take on Project Sherpa? Why try and move a bunch of applications over to containers? Yeah, yeah. I sometimes question that myself. Um, but but I've, it, the pain has gone away now. Um, uh, well, I guess a couple of reasons. Maybe there's, there's four main ones. We've, we've talked about one already, which was, um, you know, sort of the product strategy. If, if we're going to build this into the product and the best way to manage it, we sort of need to build it and, and figure that out. So product roadmap, product strategy was key. Um, we saw with the seven apps that we had already built um, that we could realize true cost savings, meaning we could truly shut instances off, um, not, you know, you know, not not sort of just moving things around, but mean really shutting things off and getting getting a real cost savings. Um, that was important. Uh, we felt we'd get that productivity increase, um, uh, which you know you always are looking for how to improve, how to get better. And then you know you know another one that's probably you know maybe not as as relevant, but you know the technical staff was just so excited to get to play with new technologies. Right? We're yeah. always you know that it's you sort of can't understate it, but um, you know, we saw a huge, you know, just people were excited. Hey, we're all, we, you know, we work on multiple things at the same time. We have a, a team spread out all over the world. And then all of a sudden we're all working on one thing. Um, and the interactions and the, the new ties that were being developed teams, different teams that never worked together were now working with each other, trying to get help. And, um, it really, uh, it was really kind of fun to see it manifest. Yeah. No, so those were sort of all the reasons why. No, that's that's cool. I, and, and for anybody that's sort of following along, um, Tim's and his team have done a a really nice job. They've got I don't know at least a half dozen very very long blogs that kind of detail this journey from uh, you know inception to where they are today. Um, g- give us a sense. You know, everybody's um, everybody's trying to figure out, especially for somewhat legacy apps, but also just kind of you know moving forward. What, what were some of the big hurdles or red flags or things where you were like, eh, maybe this isn't such a great idea. And then kind of how'd you overcome them? What were, you know, what were some of the learnings, um, especially early on that, that kept you motivated? Right. So let me just give you a quick background. Um, you know, we called it Project Sherpa because as I was looking at what we were about to do, I felt like we were about to climb Everest. And, yeah. um, and we'd already had some people that uh, had done this with the seven apps. So I was like, all right, we got some Sherpas. They're going to lead the rest of engineering um, to the top. Um, so we, um, part of, in to, to answer your question directly, we have about a thousand, just over a thousand instances that are running, um, that run our production systems. Um, 670 of those are running what we call dynamic apps. So the apps that right scale writes and is running. And then we have like 100, 358 or so what we call static apps. And that's all the SQL databases, Cassandra, Mongo, RabbitMQ, CollectD, and all those other sort of third party things. So maybe one point right there is we decided not to take on um, those static apps because we really didn't see an ROI. We really didn't see where we were going to be able to shut down instances. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the stuff around monitoring and databases and all that stuff is still sort of in flux and how's the best way to do it. So we concentrated on 
our our apps that we write that run on these 760 instances to start. Yep. So that was maybe the first segregation and the first thing to, to kind of to cut this thing down to size and probably one of the good lessons learned. Um, but uh, that being said, it, it was still you know quite a quite a, a thing to do, and um, I guess what I think you know some of the big lessons learned were um, don't underestimate you know sort of the chaos you're going to get into, um, and we we sort of went in with the all in approach like all right we're just going to jump in we're going to stop engineering. Um, because in reality, we, we didn't, it, it took a hundred percent or I like to say 120% of our ops team, uh, to pull this off. So they're not available to, to do releases. So we sort of had to stop all our feature development, um, get everybody focused. We thought it would take about five weeks, ended up taking seven weeks. Um, and really a lot of that time was where we sort of miss, missed on the estimate was that area where the developers have the container done. And now it needs to move out of the development environments into the staging environments. And the problem you run into is, well, those, you know, over time, those, those development environments are highly automated with tools to build them and to update code. Well, now you're in this mixed mode where you have some things in containers, some things in traditional deploy. Now, all of a sudden, we're in there doing it all by hand and rewiring. The new container would come up. It had to be wired in because the tools weren't necessarily there to do it. So that, that was one thing that we ran into that um, you know, really sort of slowed us down. And then the same thing happened in production. So now, uh, in, you know, now you're in the same mixed mode, and you have some things that are containerized, some things are not. Now let's say you want to do a hotfix. Um, boy, a hotfix comes in. Well, so the developers are down there, and they're working on the container for the app. But the hotfix part of the app that's still in production is still traditional deploy. Well, their whole environment was switched over to containers. Yeah. So now we're having to rebuild a, a new environment so they could go work on the old code. Then where do you test it? Staging's in this mixed mode. And then, you know, so it sort of just propagated on us a little bit. And we lost, a, you know, a couple of weeks as we tried to, to get out of that. So be, be wary of that, uh, people that are listening, if you want to jump in. Yeah, no. So that that's 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 really helpful. I think um, you know you you highlighted a couple of things. You actually answered a couple of my other questions. So the, the couple of things I'm t- I'm taking away from that is um, you know this this isn't a sort of all or nothing type of thing, right? You 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 sort of highlighted. Look, there are um, there's applications like you said that are uh, that are static. Some people call them persistent. You know, things around maybe some things around more than data um, that you know uh, containers and some of the ephemeral stuff are still kind of evolving. It doesn't make sense at this point. So, you know, plan for kind of a mixed environment. Um, you know, we've heard people talk about things like bimodal and, you know, do you, do you split your old team off from the new team? I think what you were saying is, you know, that really wasn't an option. You, you had to sort of work through this transition between kind of legacy applications or, or older applications, you know, older operational models, new operational models. There needed to be you know, kind of a, uh, a cohesiveness between everybody that was going to be involved and, and probably a certain amount of, you know, patience and collaboration. Um, and then the last thing, you know, that I kind of heard was, um, you know, you, you have to make a commitment to this thing. I mean, you guys were, were kind of all into saying, look, um, you know, it's going to be challenging throughout the process. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit when you say, well, this was a, a five week process that, that took seven weeks for a thousand instances. I think for a lot of companies, you know, missing by a couple of weeks for a thousand instances, they, they, 
you know, they would, they would go, that, that's insane. We have two weeks of project management just to talk about the thing, let alone, you know, do work. So, um, I, you know, I think you hit on a lot of the things that, that people are, are struggling with, at least conceptually is, you know, how do I get there? What are the hurdles? You know, what, what do we have to do from a team perspective? Um, uh, which was really good. So Kim, I'll, I'll come back to you. Um, you know, uh, Survey information aside, when when you guys start talking about this, and you've been very open about it, there's uh, I've got a link to one of the webinars you've done. Like I said, there's a number of blogs. Um, you know what is the what happens from a customer perspective in terms of them just calling you, going like, "Oh wow, you have all this experience now. How do you help me with that part as well?" Um, you know, does that ramp up all of a sudden now that you're kind of exposing? you know, what you've been through and, and is that a, is that a good thing? Is that a new challenge? Is that a, a, a good opportunity? Well, we kind of realized several years ago, as, uh, as Tip mentioned, this process kind of started about two years ago, um, that Docker was going to be a pretty big thing. And I've been in the industry for a while. And in my career, it's, you know, one of the fastest adoption curves that I've seen of almost anything, you know, and I've gone through the the move to the internet and the move to client server and all those things. This is really getting a lot of uptake. And we spent some time in the early days um, talking to our customers to see where they were at with this. And number one, what we saw was a lot of the leading customers, you know, the people that are kind of the dot com type of people that have a primarily sort of digital and online business were like already diving completely into the Docker pool. And not only were they using Docker containers, uh, but they were also starting to experiment with some of the orchestration tools, the cluster schedules, so the, the mm-hmm. Kubernetes, the Mesos, those types of things. And then we saw a sort of a second group of people, which is more of our traditional enterprises, and they were already interested as well. They were still kind of in the experimentation phase, but they're like, yeah, this is, this is stuff that we're going to be doing. And so that made us realize that it wasn't just, you know, us and our developers who want to be on the leading edge of technology that we're seeing this. This was happening across the board. So a couple things that customers are looking to us for among that first group, the people that are diving in, they're looking to say, all right, how can your platform, how can RightScale help me in this new environment? And so as part of Sherpa, we not only migrated all of these applications, but we also built a new container manager capability within our platform that's really cool, allows you to see containers that are running across all of your clouds, all of your environments, all of your systems. Doesn't matter if it's, you know, plain vanilla Docker or Swarm or Kubernetes. You can see that all in one place. You can search for images. You can search for containers. So it really gives you that single pane of glass that we try to promote. And it lets you see that alongside things that may not be containerized because, you know, very few people are going to be 100% containerized. Even us being all in, we're not 100% containerized either. Sure. So for, so for our kind of more advanced customers, we're already delivering them solutions within our product to help them manage that um, and starting to look at things like container monitoring is built into that interface so you can see what's going on inside containers. And then for the second group of people, it's really um, along our services angle, which is really we provide a lot of services to help people migrate to the cloud Well, for some of them, Docker is going to be a piece of that puzzle. And so we can help provide them with 
you know, best practices and design patterns and help them get going on initial projects um, as they're starting to move up that adoption curve for Docker. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, uh, I, I always tend to call that sort of a, a digital feedback loop. It's, you know, people in the, in the sort of the physical products goods would send a product out to market. You know, maybe you would hear from your customer, you know, through some sort of problem or customer support. You guys now have a much more direct channel into what people are doing. You've got data to support it. You can iterate on, on the types of products to build or the types of things to, uh, you know, to, to help them with. And it's, you know, it's, it's that sort of feedback loop that, that lets these things iterate so quickly. It's, it's really, really powerful. Um, Tim, I'm going to ask you sort of one last question on the engineering side. Um, you know, there's a lot in the, in the blogs about Sherpa around, you know, how developers have gone faster, how the CI CD system is, is moving faster and, and more integrated. What about on the, on the ops side of things? Um, you know, how, how, how is that going? You know, how are you managing the ops side? Is it, you know, is there sort of a container platform that's helping you deal with this? I know that's a, that's a question that a lot of people are asking, you know, it's, I get from the, my laptop into, into, you know, CI CD, but then what happens when it's in production? Right. So, uh, I can tell you that our ops people love containers. Um, and here's the one, I, I'll give you one reason that just trumps them all. Um, it, it's the whole idea around a container. Every container looks the same, you know, um, in the real world, right? Um, no container is, is different. The outside walls, the, the points of entry, um, any, any ship, any container crane can pick one up and move it around. It's really the same thing. Um, our ops people don't care as much now what goes inside the container from the, the development side because all they're doing is moving that container around. And as long as it has those same entry points, those same health checks where they can find it, the same place where the logs are, the same uh, entry points for inputs, um, it's all now – I heard our head of ops say, I finally have gotten you know um, the developers to do everything the same way. Um, and without them fighting, right? Because they're always they're always going. Oh well, we just need this little thing a little bit different. We need a little bit different way to monitor, or we're doing alerts a little bit differently in this app. Um, and so ops always has to, um, you know, kind of, you know, they're the ones that end up, you know, having to deal with all that, right? And sure, for one little team, one little app, um, making a change is not a big deal. But when they see fifty apps, or hundred apps, or a thousand apps, and they're all a little bit different. That's where, that's where it really gets hard in the operations world. Um, so containers take a whole bunch of that out. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yes, do we, um, the reason some, you know, Kim was alluding to building some visualization tools is, well, now we have all these containers running around, like our dashboard can see all our instances. Well, now we need to be able to see all our containers and where they're at. And, and when something goes wrong, we're building tools that we can quickly just SSH right into um, that container. Um, it's all built into the platform. So that's another thing. And that's how they manage um, the containers today. And um, I think another, another thing that they, they, they've brought up and what they, they like is that, you know, instance sizes, apps, you know, change, more load hits them, you know, new features go on, which change the dynamics of, you know, what, how much RAM, how much CPU you need. Um, and, you know, to take, to take an app and, that's running traditional and pick it up and move it over here um, is is not as easy as it is with a container. The container we can just slide around. We can regroup apps onto VMs. Um, one maybe one is starting to become bigger, and we're going to move others off, or maybe one has gotten smaller and we're moving more on. They can now really do it as easy as a chessboard 
um, where it used to be, you know, maybe a couple of days of work to, to move something around only to find out that, well, that experiment didn't work. Yeah. Um, so those are two big things. Um, I did want to go back to, you know, you, you brought up the point, are we having real, you know, customers starting to hit us up? And one thing we did, and I wanted to get that out for your audience, is we embedded um, some PS people, our professional services people, into our engineering team. Um, and, and not just, oh, you're riding along. We gave them actual apps to containerize, legacy apps to containerize. They went through the whole process with us. Um, so now those guys are, um, you know, are, have been through the process of how to take a legacy app and containerize it and take it all the way um, and get it into production. Um, we did that, and now those people are the ones that are talking to these customers that are calling us up. Um, and, you know, that was something um, I, I think – had a bigger impact after we got done than what I thought initially. I just thought initially I wanted some PS people to, to be on here so that we wouldn't get all the questions. Um, right. But afterwards, but it, it's turned out to be now these people are really into how to do this for real in the real world, which yeah. is I think what we're talking about. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there is, there is a very big difference between, you know, developing software, operating it, and then, you know, having to, to take one, one set of practices and try and adapt them to, you know, customers' environments, which, um, you know, as much as people are trying to get consistent, you know, rarely are, are very consistent. So it's, you know, it's, it's like you said, you, when you're in operations, you've got, you've got snowflakes, those snowflakes, if you, if you keep letting people do unique things become snowballs and avalanches. And, um, so it's, yeah, no, that's important to sort of see that, that cross-functional training, that cross-functional knowledge sharing. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap this up cause I know you guys have, uh, busy things to do and, and, uh, things to get to. Um, what's the best place, you know, now that this is all sort of out in the public and, and, you know, working successfully, what's the best place to, to engage with right scale, to engage with, with the teams or where, where, where can people expect to see you guys out and about over the next you know couple of months? Yeah. So, um, first of all, we do have the blog series is on our blog. It was also published on fierce DevOps. So feel free to go to the rightscale.com blog and, and read some of those articles. Um, you can also of course, check off, check out our website. Uh, we are on Twitter at right scale, so you can reach us there. Um, and feel free to reach out at any point. Uh, we've got plenty of contact information on the website and we'll be happy to connect you up with the experts. Very cool. Yeah. Let me add too. you know, we, I think we've done three webinars now that sort of chronicle our journey, our first initial steps. You'd have to go back in the archives a little bit, um, uh, that talked about some of the first things we found with Docker and containers, like passwords being exposed and some of that's been fixed and sort of the top 10 things that we found wrong to, you know, just when we did last week um, on Project Sherpa. And then we also have two of two of our, what I call lead Sherpas, will be at DockerCon um, next month. So people could find, um, you know, basically the architect and the ops person I referred to in the very first who did some of the initial work. They're going to be up at DockerCon, um, you know, scoping out the scene. So Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, we have, uh, we'll put all of those links into the show notes for folks to, to go find them. And, and Kim and uh, Tim, thank you so much for the time this morning and uh, really enjoyed kind of digging into the data and digging into to your experience doing this stuff. So thank you very much. And uh, Anytime. For, uh, you know, for Aaron and for everybody uh, on the show, we uh, thank you for your time and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 